This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Please take your Bibles that you bring to church with you every Sunday. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. We'll read on through verse 27. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out. So it would be shown that they are all not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the Son who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for all those who are here today, Lord. I just pray that, uh, that there be an anointing of fresh oil upon each person here today, Lord. That, uh, Lord, that you would restore hearts that are, that are broken and need mending. Father, that you will revive hearts, Lord, that have grown stale. And, Father, that you will regenerate the heart that is uh, stone cold and dead, Lord. That you would breathe into that heart a breath of life. Father, they would come to know Christ the Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> you know, we hear so much about the return of Jesus Christ. <laughs> You know that the, they've been talking about that, eagerly anticipating it, waiting for it, hoping for it for some 2,000 years. So here we find the Apostle John in this epistle being of that mind, and therefore he writes, Children, it is the last hour. Of course, for us, it has been two millennium. 2,000 years have come and gone since John wrote that. But according to God's timing, 2,000 years is but what? A, a moment? In the, on the Olivet Discourse found in Matthew chapter, chapters 24 and 25, and that is called the Olivet Discourse, where you find Jesus talking about end times. Jesus is asked by his disciples, <clears throat> It said, Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? 
As we continue to read in Jesus' discourse, he gives these signs. And we're going to look at them today. He gives us these signs that will precede his return. So if you will look with me at at, at Matthew chapter 24 and look at verses 4 and following. It says, And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. And then we pick up in verse 10. At that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased Excuse me. Most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end <clears throat> will be saved. This gospel, listen very carefully, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, did you notice that Jesus speaks of tribulation, hatred, falling away from the church, betrayal, one another, betraying one another, lawlessness, a loss of love. Now, we could say that, that many of these things are, are, are prevalent. In fact, they're more than prevalent today. They're, they're pandemic today. The spirit of an anti-Christian culture is all around us. You who have put your trust in Jesus Christ, folks, I'm going to tell you, you are the minority. You're not, you're not the moral majority. You are the minority. We live in a world of some seven, one half billion people. You are the minority. Let's look again at our text in John's epistle where he writes in verse 18. You have heard that, ant- that Antichrist is coming. And then he confirms that and says, even now many Antichrists have appeared. In John's understanding, he sees these Antichrists as human representatives of Satan, of whom Jesus spoke of in in John chapter 17 and verse 15. Jesus says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. That's his followers. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Folks, you have an enemy. I have an enemy, and that enemy is Satan. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 that he accuses us day and night before God. You have got an enemy. You are the the minority. The world culture is against you. The world is coming in on you. It looks to persecute the church. It It looks to plunder the church, to pillage the church. It wants to distort and prevent and pervert the gospel that you are so accustomed to. This culture which we live in, rather, they look at Christ and they see Christ as as not being supreme. They look at Christ and they see Christ as not being sufficient. They look at Christ and find out that he is certainly not necessary. So then, we should not say a particular date as to when Christ is coming back. 
or, or when the Antichrist is going to come. We should not look for a day or time that the Antichrist is to come. But what we see in John's writing is that of a time that is to come that will be characterized by the things in which Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24 and 25. And folks, I, I believe in my heart that we are at the throes, we're at the threshold of that age. That's just my personal opinion. As the gospel is proclaimed in all ages to come on this planet, there will be with it the spirit of Antichrist present. So then, what does the Antichrist want to accomplish in this world? You know, he is coming. Don't know when. Though I don't have a date for you. I can't tell you who he is, but I believe that he's coming. But what is his purpose? What is the purpose? What is the objective? What is the motive of the Antichrist? It would be that the church, that's you, it would be that the church reject the clear teachings of Scripture, the Bible, the Word of God, they want you, he wants you to reject it. There are people, there are people who are servants of Satan who are, who are flooded our churches. Who see the scripture, who see the Bible, the word of God as being obsolete, as being insufficient, as, as being un, not being relative. They want to distort, pervert, prevent you from hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. But what does, what, what does he go on to say in verse 19? He says, they went out. Listen, they went out from us. If they went out, listen very carefully. If these people went out from the church, if they left the church, if they fell away from the church, it only makes sense that someone or someones in the church let them in to begin with. Who let these people in? Why are the unregenerate in the church? The church is a place of worship. The church is supposed to be the house of God. We are here to, to raise our hands and our voices to God. But why are the unregenerate in the church? Why are they leading? Why are they leading or being leaders in the church? Jesus makes it very clear that there are in the church sheep. And there are wolves. Have you ever given any thought as to how the church came to a place where we could accept the unsaved entering it? In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 12, uh, 12 through 15. Let me, let me read that for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, 12 and, uh, 11 through 15. Or 12 through 15. Paul writes, but what I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may, I may cut off opportunity from those. Listen, I may cut, up, cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. You know what, folks? The same problem that we have today, 
they had 2,000 years ago. That there are folks in a church who hate God. There are folks in a church who are ministers of unrighteousness. There are folks in a church who are enemies of God. There are folks in the church who are false prophets and false apostles and false teachers. We have them in the church. Who's the church designed for? Is it not for those who come to worship God, who is the Lord and Savior? We come here to worship God, not to decide what, what style or substance of music is the best, not to decide about where the piano should be placed or the organ or should we have one, not to decide how bright the lighting should be or dim it should be. Listen, we come here because we're here to worship God. They were at one time in the church, and then we read that they went out of the church. Now, why would people who claim to be Christian walk away? Why would you walk away from Christ and his church? From serving Christ and his people in the church to being against Christ and trying to get people to leave the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul also says, But a natural man, that is a lost man, a carnal man, does not accept. Listen, a lost man, an unsaved man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot, he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Do you know why people say, I can't understand what the Bible is saying? They cannot understand it because their heart is turned against God. Folks, the church is supposed to have its vision and its focus pointed in Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who leads us to have our eyes focused on Christ not the church, not the people sitting next to you, not what color the pews are or anything. We're to have our vision focused on Jesus Christ. And when we focus it on man, when we focus it on things, when we focus on others, we, we've lost the objective for which we are here. And that objective is that we are here to worship God. Their motive, their purpose, their objective was to get into the church and pollute and dilute the truth of God's word so that the church would become stale, cold, weak, and anemic. You know, I've asked friends of mine, I says, you know, we, we, ought, to, we ought to have a, 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 a conference sometime of what's wrong with the church in this 21st century. You know, we have tried to fix the church with programs. Ain't going to happen. You, you cannot program the church to glory. You can, you can program it until, listen, until you run out of money buying everything you need to buy to program a church. You know what the church needs today? We need preachers up here who will preach the truth of God's word, the Bible, the word of God, that a person is saved only by grace through faith and in Jesus Christ. John goes on in verse 20 and says, in verse 20, listen, he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. Listen, 
the real church of our Lord will not be deceived. Will the true church, the real church, I'm not talking about the Baptist church or the Episcopal church or the Catholic church or the Presbyterian church or the Lutheran church. I'm talking about the people who put their trust in Jesus Christ, that church. The real church, the real church of Jesus Christ will not be deceived because it has an anointing from God. Folks, you who put your trust in Jesus Christ, you have got an anointing upon you. Every day you wake up, God is dumping on your head fresh oil. You wake up and, and, and you, you become God's anointed all over again. God sustains you through the night and you wake up. And folks, listen, God puts you on your feet. God's been filling your lungs with air while you've been sleeping. You know nothing about it. You're over there sleeping. You wake up. You stand up on your feet. You're vertical for the day. Listen, you've been blessed of God. Amen. He's been dumping fresh oil upon you all through the night. He says, get up. It's time, it's time for you to connect and communicate with me. Dine with me. Get into my word. Start your day with me. Start your day with me. Some of us start the day with a news show. No wonder you're depressed. <laughs> but you... You have an anointing. You know God's truth. You're God's elect. You're God's chosen. And people, we will not fall for those deceptive schemes of Satan or his servants. And why? Why will we not fall for Satan's schemes? Because we are the sons of God. Because we are sealed by the Spirit of God. Because we possess a divine nature of God. And because He abides on us in His Word, the Word of God. That is why you'll not fall for the schemes of Satan. Oh, listen. We may be fooled. We may be tricked. But you will not go down for the count. You may go through some rough times, but God will lift you up. You may feel oppression, but you are God's possession. Listen, when you were down, God raised you up. When you're on your face, God seated you in glory. When you're unloved, God loved you. When you found no hope, God gave you mercy. Every day you wake up. And every day is a new anointing. Fresh oil being poured upon you, just like they did for Samuel did for King David when David went went stood before Samuel the prophet, and Samuel took a horn filled with oil and he dumped it over him, dumped it over his head until it ran down his beard and down past his belly, down his legs and to his toes. Listen, folks, he was covered head to toe with the oil of God, and so are you. No one, nothing takes us out from his hands. Nothing, no one takes us out from the Father's hands. We are, present, we are predestined to be conformed to Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what's going to happen in your life for every one of you that are Christians. Every one of you that are Christians. Listen, the Bible says that God has predestined you to be 
conformed to the image of his son. Romans 8, 29, read it. God has predestined you. God has decreed. God has set a decree upon you. He has sealed it that you will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And someday you'll walk the streets of glory. And every one of you who put your trust in Jesus, listen, every one of you have been sealed by Christ and you will look at one another and we will be God's children together in glory. And we'll be there for 10,000 years, a million or two, but we will meet one another in glory. That's the kind of spirit that fills the Christian. But there's also the spirit of Antichrist. It is a spirit of Antichrist who mentally denies those essential doctrines of, Christian, of the Christian faith. That is Satan's design. He, he seeks to prevent, pervert, distort the true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verses 22 and 23, look at this in our text. He says, who's a liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. You know what that means? Now that's Christmas season, then yes, I start putting lights out. <laughs> Let me tell you what that means. Because it is a Christmas season, it is the season of the incarnation. When Jesus came down, from glory, and he robed himself in human flesh. And you know what? I was telling, we had our first class today in, in uh, the, the welcoming foundations class, whatever it's called. We had our first class out of six classes. And I was telling the people today about incarnation. It's about chili. You like chili? We're not having chili today. There's a big bird down there with my name on it. <laughs> but chili is just beans. But chili con carne is chili with meat. Amen. You fix chili con carne, you're putting some meat in there. And that's what, that's what we want. We want chili con carne. I want beans and meat both. And I want a big hunk of bread to go with that, you know, a muffin or something to go with that, cornbread, whatever. Incarnation, God, incarnation, chili con carne, God put on meat. God dressed himself and robed himself in meat. He became human just like we did in Philippians chapter 2. He became human. He appeared out of glory and came down to this earth and had the form of a man. He was fully God and fully man at the same time. That's the incarnation. And John says, if you deny the incarnation of Jesus Christ, you're the Antichrist. That's why it's so important. When we look at Christmas, we should be saying, God put on meat and he was born in a stable. But God put on me so he could redeem me. God put on me so he can be my savior. God put on me so he can become my Lord. God put on me so he could save me and bring me into his kingdom and take me out of the domain of darkness and transfer me to the kingdom of his beloved son. God put on me in order to do that for me. 
in verses 26 and 27, we are given a warning. That warning is about those who are wanting to deceive the church. They have the spirit of the Antichrist. And now listen, pay close attention to this. In verse 26, we are given a warning. And in verse 27, we are giving a safeguard. You see, when, when there's a warning out there in the scripture, when there's a warning, God always gives you a, a safety valve. He says, watch out for this, but I've got you covered over here. Listen, God's got our, you realize that God's got your back. You know that? God's got your back. He says, our safeguard is the Holy Spirit who, according to Scripture, abides in you and who teaches you about all things. He teaches you about all things. So what things does the Holy Spirit teach us? Well, let's let the Word of God give us that answer. In John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. This is what he says. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So here we find that the Holy Spirit will work in and through the church. And here's three things he's going to do for you. Here are three things. Listen, you can take this to the bank. Three things the Spirit of God is going to do for you. Number one, he's going to guide you into all the truth. You know, there's a whole bunch of lies out there. This world is nothing but a cacophony of noise. There's noise everywhere. But listen, we don't need to just hear noise. We want to hear the truth. You want to hear the truth. You know, Joe Friday on Dragnet. Remember that? Just the facts, man. Nothing but the facts. Just give me the facts. I just want to hear the truth. Just give me the truth. That's the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all the truth. Secondly, he will disclose to you what is to come. Speaking of news. Folks, if you, if you watch it at all, you know, you know what's coming down the pike? I don't, I don't know if you're aware of this. Or not. You know what's coming down the pike? I don't mean just a turnpike. I'm talking about this thing's traveling faster than the speed of light. What's coming down the pike is that this world hates God. And if it doesn't like, you know what Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute who? You. That's what's coming down the pike. He'll disclose to you what's to come. And then the third thing, he will glorify Jesus. You know what the church needs to do right now? We need to just glorify Jesus. Whatever is happening in the world, whatever is happening in your life, glorify Jesus. You know, the Bible says, in everything, give thanks for this, the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That we should be thankful. Listen, folks, I don't care what condition we're in. In everything, give thanks. Not, Lord, thank you that bad things are happening to me, but in spite of bad things happening to me, in spite of whatever is going on in the world, I don't care if your party won or not. Whatever is going on and everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Oh, Father, thank you. Amen. Thank you that whatever is going on in the world, that you have overcome the world, John 16, 33. Because this world is a mess, we're, we've been transferred to a kingdom that is not a mess. It is not a chaos. It is a kingdom of order. The Holy Spirit 
will move our attention away from a world that we are not to love, not a world of people, but a world system that denies the supremacy, sufficiency, and sacrifice of Christ. He will take us, listen, he will take us away from that and he'll focus our attention where it needs to be. We're to turn our eyes, turn our hearts toward Christ. What does Jesus say? The young pharisaical lawyer walks up to Jesus and says, Teacher, tell me, what is, what is the great commandment? So what does Jesus tell him? Don't kick the dog? What does Jesus tell him? He says, the great commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he says, and the second is just like the first, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Amen. Folks, that only is going to happen. That's only going to happen. We will not be able to love one another properly until we love God properly. Where are you at today? What spirit are you following? Are you following the spirit of antichrist? Anti-Christian behavior? You know, you're, you're, you're running with the culture, trying to catch up with the culture, whatever that culture is. You know, we, we have changed this culture so many times. We say, well, we've got to make Christ relevant with the culture. Folks, if we keep on changing Jesus with the culture, we're never going to recognize what he looks like. It's the culture that needs to catch up with Christ, not Christ with the culture. But who are you following? A Christ of the culture who's not a Christ at all? Are you following an, an, an anti-Christian attitude and behavior that denies the su supremacy of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ? The necessity of Christ that denies those essential things? Or are you saying, Pastor, I believe right now that the Holy Spirit is leading me in my heart to make this commitment that I want Jesus today to be my Savior and my Lord. The world cannot save me. The church cannot save you. You cannot save you. Only Jesus can do that.